Philippians chapter 4, verses 21, 22, and 23, the last three verses of Philippians. Here's what it says. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Philippians 4, 21, 22, and 23. This is our last time in the book of Philippians for the time being anyway. We've spent some time working our way through the book of Philippians. And, and beginning next week, we will start uh, some time, a uh, couple of months, month and a half maybe, in the book of Malachi. So if you're uh, the kind of person who likes to read ahead, you can uh, open your Bible to the book of Matthew and go back one book. And you'll find the book of Malachi as we've said before, it's so far in the Old Testament, it's almost in the New Testament. It's the most New testament of the Old Testament books. That's how close it is. Uh, Malachi, like the book of Philippians, is only four chapters. So you could quite easily uh, read the book of Malachi in one sitting, uh, assuming uh, you stay awake. If you're like me, it takes several tries uh, because Sunday afternoons are sleepy time, right? Uh, but you could read, read it through if you want to get ahead and get a feel for what's going on in the book of Malachi. But for today, for the time being, we're at the end of the book of Philippians. I'm just going to kind of let you know in advance what we're going to do. Then you, I guess you can decide if you want to stay, if you want to go. I don't know. It's up to you. Um, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to look for a few minutes at some of the details of this greeting and uh, understand some of the things that's going on here to clarify any misunderstanding that we might have about what's going on there. But then the next thing we're going to do is take the context of this greeting, which is Paul's in some ways summarizing uh, some of the, the big themes of the book of Philippians, and we're going to do some of the, we're going to do a highlight tour of the book of, of Philippians a little bit this morning. Not say, boy, that's going to take a long time. No, it won't take that long at all. Uh, but we're just going to look at some of the major themes in the book of Philippians that we've covered over the last several months as a way of saying, of highlighting some of the important things that we've, we've learned from uh, this important book of the Bible. So uh, look with me again at, at the, the text here, greetings, uh, the final greetings in the book of uh, Philippians. Again, verse 21, I'll just read it very briefly. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus, the brothers who are with me uh, greet you. Uh, so first of all, it is a greeting. How do I know that? It's got the word greet in it twice. Okay, so that's how we figured that out. Secondly, they'll look at the third word. Greet every saint. Greet every saint. Now, we happen to be sitting this morning in a Protestant church, and so if you're a Protestant, you may have a particular view of what that word means. If you have a Catholic background, you may have a, a little bit of a different perspective of what that word means. So I thought it would be worth our time telling you who saints are, and uh, so you understand what the word is meaning. Saints is anyone who is in Christ Jesus. If you are a believer, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you have received from God by faith through grace, or through grace by faith, I, I get the things mixed up. You have been made righteous in Christ. In fact, the Bible would tell us we have received the righteousness of Christ. We're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. If we have the righteousness of Christ, we are then, by virtue of Christ's righteousness, made holy. 
made holy. And this word saint is a way that we're understanding in English, that word that's translated a holy one, a, a holy person. They say, well, I don't feel very holy. We agree. So we're all on the same page. We just sang a song where we all admitted in a song that our hearts are prone to wander, right? And, and we're agreeing with one another that although we have been made holy, we are still learning to know what that means to live like it. But anyone who is in Christ uh, by trusting in him has been made holy and so therefore is a saint. You don't have to have the church make some fancy move uh, to agree that you are a saint. You don't have to perform a miracle. And I know for our, our Catholic friends, they would take exception to that. And, and that's okay. They can take exception to that. The Bible is quite clear. All who are in Christ are made holy and therefore are saints. So when he says greet every saint, he is saying greet everybody. But in particular, he wants to remind everybody what's true of them. Greet everyone who has been made holy. Greet all the believers uh, in the Lord. And he's saying, greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. Meaning, I want a greeting to be extended to you that is a, an expression of the love we have shared with one another in Christ Jesus. Okay, the next word in there that I want to point out is, the brothers who are with me greet you. So, two things. He kind of greets uh, from several kinds of groups. Number one, he greets from the brothers, and he's probably talking about a, a group of people that work very closely with him in his ministry, Epaphroditus, Timothy, Luke, Barnabas, if they're getting along that week. Uh, you know, it just depends. Um, in contrast, look at the beginning of verse 22. He says, all the saints agree, greet you. So he, he's got a group of people he's working very closely with, and he says this these, this group of brothers I work very closely with, we send our greetings. In addition to that, everyone, all the saints that I'm with in Rome, they also send their greetings. So here's what I want us to understand was Paul's perspective. And we, we forget this because you and I become very familiar with the Bible. He considers uh, the people in his life who share faith in Christ, they're his family. They are his family. He's not merely using the term brothers in a sort of the way we throw it all, throw it around you know he's my brother or whatever he's saying no this is my family uh, the people I share my faith with are my family and he's saying my family the brothers I work with are uh, I, we send our greetings to you okay now let's continue on uh, with uh, verse 22 and uh, before we get our, to our highlight reel for the book of Philippians all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. So he says, not only do my close co-workers greet you, but all of the people in the church at, in Rome greet you, including those who make their living working in the governmental complex of Caesar, Nero. And, and we just want to be reminded, the people in Philippi are under persecution because they won't practice the emperor worship that is so prevalent in the city of Philippi. And Paul wants to say, even there are brothers and sisters in the Lord who make their daily living from Caesar, and they also greet you. In spite of the differences that you may have uh, because of the situation you find yourselves in, the people of Caesar's household also send you uh, greetings. And so he's, he's emphasizing here the contrast of how they live, but how close they are because of their faith in Christ Jesus together. Okay, finally, verse 23, and then we're going to get 
uh, to some highlights. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Just a profound uh, blessing that he is praying on the people of God. He is saying, I pray God's grace on you to such a degree that it would be in your bones. It would be in your soul. It would overwhelm your spirit. Why would people need the grace of God? Anybody else lousy at being a Christian? I'm okay when I'm asleep. Like I'm average. I'm fairly well behaved when I'm awake. Once I'm awake, it's useless. I just, the wheels fall right off, right? And so he says, I, this is what's funny, is we think being a Christian is all about getting each other to behave well. Now, we want to draw one another into holiness, and we're not going to throw that to the side. However, the bigger message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is grace on those who aren't good at it. And after this long book where he's emphasizing the work of Christ to save sinners, he wants to remind the saints, he wants to remind the believers, grace, you're fine. There is grace. There's grace again for today. And somebody, and somebody who will read there, you have no idea what, he, what I did today. No, it doesn't matter. There is grace sufficient for you again today. And, he, and Paul understands something that many of us who are in Christ forget. The, the power to the Christian life is not how good we are. The power to the Christian life is how much grace there is for us, even though we're not that good. That is the power of the gospel. That, in fact, we will be drawn more powerfully into holy living through grace than through religious obligation. So his final prayer for them is one that probably you could just, if, that, if that's all you take home today, good. That's fine, because the rest of this is just highlights, right? There's enough grace for you today. Okay, now don't shout it out. So pick the thing in your mind that right now, you no, 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 there's no grace for that. And some of you, well, nobody behaves that badly. Oh, really? Hmm. Ask the guy next to you. No, don't. No, I'm kidding. Don't do that. There's grace for you today. You say, well, how can I be certain that, that there's enough grace for how my life is and the things that I struggle with? Well, I look at the cross, and I'm pretty sure when he said it's finished, he wasn't playing. It's finished. It's paid for. His grace is sufficient for you, and the message that Paul wants for us as we wrap up the book of Philippians is this. Know that in your soul. Not as a doctrinal statement, not as something you write down and I believe in grace, of course, but in your soul, in your inner person, can you rest because God says, no, we're good. In Christ, grace has been extended to you in spite of the challenges you face in your life. Okay, let's do the highlights. You ready? Why are we doing highlights? Because yesterday was the NBA All-Star game. Was it, or is it today? Yesterday was the slam dunk contest. Um, some of you, did you not know it was a slam dunk contest yesterday? You completely missed it. Uh, here's the thing. I used to watch it a lot, but I'm dating myself, right? I remember guys like Dominique Wilkins, um, a guy named Michael Jordan, uh, Five Slamma Jamma, Clyde Drexler, anybody? You don't remember any of these people. He, he never won. That was the 1984 slam dunk contest. Here's the old one a good one for like the two people who know what I'm talking about, apparently. Spud Webb. Anybody remember Spud Webb? Five foot seven. Oh, my lands. That guy could jump out the gym. Um, well, it turns out they do the slam dunk contest. I think the event on TV is 10 hours. 
you can, don't do that. What you do is the next day, like today, this morning, I got up YouTube, you can watch the whole thing, every dunk, in about four minutes. And it's fantastic. And you replay it, whoa, that was pretty good, and that was pretty lame, whatever it might be, right? Well, that's what we're doing today. We're doing the slam dunk highlights of the book of Philippians. It's so much better than the slam dunk contest. Boy, I've set the bar pretty high. Here we go. Have Jesus in common with other people. Number one thing, have Jesus in common with other people. Uh, in youth group or young people, when they get together, a game that used to be played, again, dating myself, is this game. It's kind of like musical chairs. One person doesn't have a seat to sit down, and the person who doesn't have a chair will call out something about the group of people, and everybody who have that thing about them have to jump up and find a new chair. So let's say everybody with a green shirt on. Everybody with a green shirt on has to get up, and then everybody has to find a chair, and somebody's not going to find a chair, right? Uh, you might say whoever has white socks on. So everybody gets up. It's, it's what do all these people have in common? And what the book of Philippians wants to challenge us, uh, when we look at brothers and sisters in the Lord, we have all kinds of connections we might have. We might have that we're from the same neighborhood. We might have that we have a similar profession. We have a similar family. We have kids or we don't have kids. We have grandkids or we don't have grandkids. Uh, we've had a similar illness uh, that we have gone through. We have all kinds of connections. And one of the highlights of the book of Philippians is this. Have the most important thing in common, be Jesus. Have Jesus in common with one another. And that's what he's highlighting when he says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Have that as the primary point of commonality. Where did we cover this? Look back at Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. I'm going to read it. It's a fair amount of reading, but that's okay. Here's what it says in Philippians chapter 1, 3 through 11, if you... Uh, want to, you can read it up on the screen or you can follow along in your copy of the scripture. Here's what he says. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Why is Paul grateful in these verses? He's grateful because of their partnership with him in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was grateful for his relationship with him that was a partnership in the gospel and his relationship with them that was defined by a movement of God's grace in their, in their lives and in his life, what motivated him and their connection and relationship together was they had in common the grace of Christ, and that grace of Christ was so compelling in Paul's life and in their life, they both were anxious to communicate the grace of Christ into the community around them. And he was grateful and he rejoiced in that sense of commonality. And he had a great affection for them because of the work of Jesus Christ in their love, so in their life. So this is what he prayed for. He prayed for 
that they would continue to love one another and the world around them to share the gospel. He prayed that they would grow in knowledge. Because they had Christ in common, he wanted them to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ over the course of their life through the word and through prayer and through living life in Christ together. And he prayed that they would grow in wisdom, the ability to apply the truth of the gospel to everyday life. Because they had the gospel in common, his prayer was that all of their significant growth would be things related to the gospel, that they would have skill in living the, the life of the gospel in a world that is contrary to the gospel. He wanted them to be filled with the work of Christ Jesus in their, in their life and for them to be filled with Jesus' righteousness in their life. And that's what moved him about them. You might think about this in the people in your own life. When you think about somebody you know well, either in your home or at work or a family member, uh, you might know somebody say, boy, you know, I really wish that they would, whatever it might be. I really wish that they would get their life together. I wish they would get their act together. I wish that they would get a job or they would keep a job. Or I wish that they, he would treat his children better or treat his wife better. I wish he'd take better car, care of his yard. Now you're thinking of your neighbor, right? I wish they would get that, that car off the cinder blocks and maybe move it to the back. Some of you are going, what's wrong with the car on the cinder block, right? That's what some of you are saying. That is the appropriate decoration for a front yard. You don't understand the problem. You're mad that your neighbor doesn't have a car on cinder blocks in his front yard. Have one delivered. Just call up a junkyard, have one delivered. And so we think of these things. Well, man, I really wish this, this, and this. Now, if we're really honest with ourselves, when we think about people in our lives and, and what we would, would hope would happen in their life, if we're, if we're honest... Many times we would hope that they would grow in those areas because it would make our life a little easier. You know, I wish they were more understanding or more forgiving or they'd get a job so I wouldn't have to keep loaning him money or they'd clean up his yard so I wouldn't have to keep, keep you know, cutting the weeds down on the edge, whatever it might be. Well, if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we really hope people will grow in the Lord because them not growing in the Lord makes our, our life difficult. That's not what Paul was saying. Paul understood that for, for people to, to know the Lord more deeply is the best thing that could ever happen to them. And, and anything else that might happen to them is going to be second best. The best thing that could happen to the people in your life is they might discover the grace of Christ more deeply and love him more deeply. That's the, the best thing that could happen to the people you know. Bar none. There's nothing else that could happen in somebody else's life. That would be better than them knowing Jesus and knowing him more deeply day in and day out. When we pray for things for people, that should be something that should be on the top of the list. God, help them to know Jesus more deeply today. Help them to know the grace of Christ more deeply today. This is what motivated Paul when he thought about other people in his life. I really hope they know Jesus better over time. Have Jesus in common with others. And we might just suggest this before we move to the next highlight. We have to be purposeful and intentional in our Jesus connection with others. Uh, it's much easier to have other things in common with others. We discover very quickly things we have in common, hobbies, things we're interested in, perspectives on the world around us. It is going to be by default, we want to, oh, you're a believer, I'm a believer. Okay, good. Let's never talk about that again. We have to be very intentional in having Christ in common together. Who knows why it's so awkward and weird to talk about our faith, even in church, with one another? 
but it's something that will benefit each other when we challenge ourselves to say, you know what, I want to have in common with one another the things of Christ. Um, all right, next thing, Philippians 3.20. We have Jesus in common, but sometimes we have Jesus in common with people who are very different than us. So have Jesus in common, not just with those we're well-connected to, but have Jesus in common with other uh, people who are very different than us. We might even say have Jesus in common with other uh, cultures. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. You can be turning there. Um, I'll just read it. Here's what it says. Our citizenship is in where? Heaven. Excellent. You read it correctly. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Our citizenship is in heaven. Now, maybe you've gone to a gas station before. Now, if you own a Tesla or something else, maybe you plug it in. But I'm assuming uh, you may not. If you have an electric vehicle, maybe you still have a gas car. Um, so you go to the, the fueling station, the gas station, and all the cars are there. Uh, no matter what the car is like, they're all there for one reason. To question, why do we not have self-service gas yet? That is the reason we are there. Okay, now I'm a lifelong Oregonian, but when that comes up on the ballot, no, I'm talking political, I don't know, but I am, but yes, I don't want to wait at Costco for two hours because they got three guys. Okay, this is off topic, but I don't know where that came from, but I'm voting yes, self-service gas. What do all the cars have in common? They're fueling up. Okay, you can have one person in a Ferrari. I saw one the other day. It was an orange Ferrari parked in the gas station. And then you've got me in my little Yamaha 50cc scooter with my uh, helmet on. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, both of those vehicles, although they have different performance standards, I know that's surprising to hear. They're both just getting gas. They're, they're both just getting gas. And, and what we tend to do when we get together with other people, is we're quickly trying to figure out what are the samenesses and what are the differences. And what we, when we have Jesus in common, when our citizenship is heaven, the differences no longer matter. They are still there, and they are still real, and they are still relevant. They're not insignificant. However, the commonalities in Christ should give us a new perspective on how we connect with others. Our citizenship is in heaven. Who am I? I am in Jesus. What is my primary identity? A Christ follower, made like Christ, given the righteousness of Christ, one who is going to live forever in Christ. I have an eternal hope and the eternal home. All my other identities, whatever they might be, father, husband, Citizen of a particular city, citizen of a particular country, a person of a person, certain socioeconomic background, a certain of a, a racial background. All my other identities aren't non-consequential, but they are secondary. My primary identity is a citizen of heaven, and I am in Christ. We have Jesus in common with others who do not have the same background as us, and we have to understand that. In the greeting at the end of the book when he says, that we, I send you greetings even from those in Caesar's household. There would have been those in the church in Philippi who would have said, 
would have said, they should quit their jobs. There is no way you could work for Caesar knowing what he's doing to us and call yourself a Christian, right? There is no way somebody could be in that political party and call themselves a Christian. Okay, fine. They can be in Christ, but they need more grace. Let's just say it. If they're going to be in that political party, I certainly don't need as much grace because at least I have my politics right. So this didn't start today. This started in Philippi. This started uh, as soon as there was a church with believers who had more than one background, which was day one, people going, how could you possibly be that and call yourself a Christian? And that completely misses the point. If our primary identity is Christ, we look at one another significantly different. The point is to see one another that our only hope is Jesus alone. Our other identities get elevated too high when we think true hope will come from those other things. So if I think true hope comes from my earning power, my identity will be someone who wants to make money because that's where my hope come from, comes from. If my hope is primarily built on who wins a, uh, an election, then my identity is going to be, that's going to be my primary identity. If my primary identity or hope is in my family looking a certain way, then that's where my identity is going to be. But if my hope is Christ alone, that's my primary understanding of who I am. And we can have Jesus in common with people from other backgrounds when we keep our secondary identities where they ought to be. Places where real hope is not found because our final hope is in Christ alone. Look what Paul says will happen to us. Our citizenship is in heaven. That means we're visiting here. We have a passport. It's called the Holy Spirit, meaning one day we get to go home, meaning this is not our home. We await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning our hope has not been fully filled yet when Jesus returns or takes us to himself. That is when our hope will accomplish. Look at verse 21. He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. That's terribly insulting. The Bible tells you you have a lowly body. We covered this, I think, when we preached this passage. How many men flex in front of a mirror? All of them. And you say, well, I know uh, men in my life. They should be doing lots of things, but one thing they should not be doing is flexing in front of a mirror. It's not going to stop them. They have good imaginations. But he says to us, verse 20, he will transform our lowly body. Why does he say we have a lowly body? It's dying. It doesn't last forever. We just did a memorial for Barbara Miller yesterday, and when you're standing in front of an open grave and watching a casket drop in, it snaps into focus real quick. This doesn't last forever. He will transform our lowly body, and, and so our final home is there. It is only when we, we fully understand where our hope is and who our hope is that we can let go of these lesser hopes and get along with people who are very different from us. Not only just get along, but have a loving, affectionate, Christian relationship with them. I might suggest this, to the degree that a body of believers cannot have 
close connection with people very different from them, that's an indication that the gospel hasn't taken root fully. If the only way we can get along as believers is if everybody is real similar, we've missed the gospel. Those persecuted by Caesar and those working in his household are united in Jesus because their commonality is this is not our home yet. We have a better home to look forward to. And we have to be willing to set aside our secondary identities. Set aside is probably not the right way to see them. Keeping them in the right place. How in the world can we have, have Jesus in common with people not like us? It requires our hearts to be completely transformed. So finally, have Jesus in common in your heart. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. This is, of Philippians, the epicenter of the book. This is the passage it leads up to. This is the passage it flows out of. It's a famous passage. We've read it dozens of times in our study. And reading it one more time will still be insufficient for us to properly appreciate it. So here we go. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, that is Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Have this mind in you, which is the mind of Christ. Have our inner person transformed to be like Jesus. And what is Jesus like? He humiliates himself by leaving the glories of heaven to become not just a servant, but a servant who dies in the most humiliating way for those who have rebelled against him. And what he calls us to do is have Jesus in common in our heart, to take Jesus not as our example merely, but as what we want our lives to be conformed to. What does it mean on a day-in and day-out basis to humble myself and be a servant for the people in my life? The point he's trying to help us understand is grace applied to our heart is not a theological doctrine to be understood only, but it is primarily a new way of seeing the whole world around us and the people around us. When grace is applied to our heart, the goal is to have our eyes see the world around us the way Jesus sees the world around us. And when Jesus sees the people around him, he says, how can I serve them up to and including the point of my death? The point is for us to have our inner person changed in how we view the people around us. To have our heart changed. To have our entire uh, perspective on relationships altered to, to, to serve others and to not be served. It's difficult in, nowadays uh, to talk about this because, um, 
Because the concern is we're going to get walked all over. Right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this as best I can to help us try and understand this while including enough, enough conditions um, to give you an out. Now, let me explain that, okay? So number one, you say, well, if my entire perspective is just to serve others, I'm going to get taken advantage of. Do you agree? That if you, like, dedicate yourself right now to serve your spouse no matter what, your spouse is going to take advantage of you, right? That will happen. Have you, how long have you been married? Like, Five minutes, you should have figured this out. No, no, no. I've got, the idea is I do this and they do this. It's 50-50. That never works. It's I serve and that's it. But what if they never serve me back? How do I say this nicely? Um, that's what Jesus does. He just serves till he dies, right? Okay, but let me give the qualification too. This is not the Christian way of authorizing abuse. There's a certain point in our life we say, no, I am not serving humbly to the benefit of others. Somebody is abusing me. So we're not saying that. We're not saying we are walked all over and somebody gets to treat us like garbage. That's not what we're saying. But what we are saying is the way Christ serves others is an anticipation that there is no payback and I get to serve people who don't deserve it. Now, on the other hand, let's look at this joyfully. What if... A couple decides to serve one another in this way, there will be joy that hasn't been experienced in a way before. If I have to serve in order to gain, I will always feel discontented that they didn't serve as good as I did. But if I serve freely and then am served freely, that is a relationship where joy can happen because that service is reflecting the person of God himself. So the goal here is to have the mind of Christ where we willingly serve others freely. We give of ourselves. We give of our time. We give of our energy. We give of our resources. We're willing to serve people who don't deserve it. And we want Christ's mind to make his way into our hearts. How can we afford to serve others when we know there's going to be no return? We have to believe heaven is that good. The only way to serve others humbly, the way Jesus served, is to know I don't have to get paid back here. I'm going to go to heaven someday, and I think we'll be made all right. That's, the, that's why Paul connects the glories of heaven with humble service here. He says, we serve here not to get paid here. We serve here humbly, knowing one day we will experience the glories of heaven. One other passage I want to look at that connects us to this. Turn over to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 11, another big chunk of scripture. Here's what it says, Romans 5, 1 through 11, I think it's up on the screen if you want to follow along there. Here's what it says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope, 
And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak and at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We have hope because God saves sinners. That's why we have hope. We have hope because Jesus died for us while we were in abject, total, and complete rebellion. Jesus did not die for you, and he did not die for me because we had good potential He did not die for you because he needed an all-star on his team. He did not die for you because he knew that someday you would achieve some great purpose for his kingdom. He died for you while you were a sinner because he's awesome. That's it. That's just the kind of person he is. He's just the kind of person, the kind of God who would die for people in total rebellion. And the reason we have hope is because he died for us and gave us his Holy Spirit, and by faith we participate in the gospel of salvation. And so all he's calling us to do, because he died for us while we are sinners, is to endure the challenges we're going to face of having our hope in Christ between now and glory. And one of the primary challenges we face is being willing to serve other sinners who aren't as good as us. One of the primary challenges we're going to face is serving others knowing they don't deserve it and wishing they would get their act together and wondering when the payoff is going to be. And Jesus says, we rejoice because our heart has been made and moved like Jesus. The apostles, after Jesus was raised from the dead, they were preaching uh, in uh, the temple area and they got arrested right? Every other page of Acts. Somebody's getting arrested. They got arrested in the middle of the night. The doors opened up, and the uh, angel and the vision told them, go back out into the temple courts and uh, keep preaching, which I would have said, is there any way we could go somewhere else uh, besides staying here? But uh, that wasn't the order. So they went back to the temple courts. Now, they went down into the jail to go get them, to take them to court, and they weren't there because the angel had let them out of the jail but they hadn't escaped. They were just out preaching some more, which they had just gotten arrested for. They went out and politely asked them to come in and come to court because they were worried if they arrested them by force, all the people would stone the guards to death. Uh, so they took them in and stood before the Sanhedrin, and they said, we told you not to preach in the name of Christ. And they used a finger just like this. They wagged it like that. And they said, uh, yeah, I think we're going to keep doing that. I, I think we're going to obey God and not man. And they said, we ought to kill them. And then Gamaliel stood up and he said, you know, guys, listen, if what they're doing is from God, you can't stop it. If, they're what, if what they're doing is not from God, it's, gonna, it's not going to last. Well, we let them go. And so then what they did is they said, we're going to let you go. But before you go, a parting gift. 
What was their parting gift? A flogging. That bad news. It always hurts. There's not a way for a flogging not to hurt. After their flogging appointment, what did they do? They worshiped. They praised the Lord. Listen, weirdest verse you're going to read in the entire, well, there's a couple of other weirder ones, but one of the weirdest verses in the time, they just got flogged and they left praising God that they were counted worthy of a flogging. Okay? This is different than how you and I approach our not floggings on a daily basis. We do our devotions in the morning for three and a half, four minutes. Something bad happens on the way to work. We hit all the red lights. We raise our clenched fists to heaven. Why, God, have you... Right? Don't we? And what we have when Jesus transforms our heart is a completely different view of the world. We're no longer trying to escape hardship. We glory in it because that means Christ is conforming us into the image of Jesus. And if we're not trying to escape difficulty, it gives us the freedom to engage in service to others knowing we will never get paid back. We can serve others who don't deserve it. We can serve others who don't appreciate it. We can serve others who will waste it because we don't need it to pay off because we don't mind suffering, because suffering produces endurance, and when we gain endurance, we experience the hope of Christ. Have Jesus in common in our heart, which is a way of looking at the world around us that is totally different than how most people do. That the joy of the Lord will fill our heart in difficulty as well as in blessing. Have Jesus in common with others, have Jesus in common with people who are different than you, and have Jesus in common in your heart. Okay, just a couple of quick questions. We're going to close with this before we uh, sing one more song. I'm trying to think of how to ask this. You say, aren't, aren't you supposed to figure that out beforehand? No, don't tell me how to do my job. All right. Um. There's some people around you who aren't totally like Jesus yet. If your spouse is laughing, you got problems, bro. <laughs> there are some people around you that aren't like Jesus. And it turns out you're not much like Jesus either. But I want you to look at the people around you that you have a relational connection with. You have some influence. Your spouse, your children, uh, your coworkers, your friends. There's some people around you who aren't like Jesus yet. The question is, what do you think it would look like for them to look more like Jesus. And that's not a wrong thing to think. That's a good thing to think. What would it look like if my buddy looked a little bit more like Jesus in his life? The next question is, what is my role in seeing that happen? Do I have a part to play in seeing my buddy look a little bit more like Jesus? Now, there might be a number of things that you, it doesn't have to be all difficult. It can be a, a, a joy. You know, you've got a buddy uh, who isn't like Jesus because he's always discouraged. He needs some encouragement. He needs to be reminded of the grace of Christ in his life. He needs to be reminded that God has paid the price. He doesn't have to live his life filled with guilt and shame. However, you might also have a friend in your life that they do, you need to tell him, this part of your life is not like Jesus. He died on the cross to forgive you for that, not to let you keep doing that. And it's time to say no to that. How can I help you? What is my role 
in helping others encounter the love of Christ in their life and becoming more and more like Jesus. The fancy Bible word for that is simply making disciples. You don't have to do a weekly Bible study at a coffee shop. It can be a conversation you just know, you know, I need to tell my friend this because I know this is going on in their life and I want to be a a catalyst to seeing Christ worked out in their uh, heart. Okay, next thing. We've covered this before, but it's worth mentioning again. Um, This is going to surprise some of you. When other people become more like Jesus, they don't become like you. This is what we think. Well, if everybody were like Jesus, we would all be the same. That's not how it works. That's why it's so awesome. That's why the body of Christ is so incredible. You being like Jesus may be very different than me being like Jesus. And we need to get out of our mind that somebody else becoming like Christ means they're going to be more and more like me. When in fact, what they need to be is not more and more like you, they need to be more and more like Jesus. I've discovered this in my own life. I tend to be a fairly routine and regimented person, okay? Can I point something out that's just driving me nuts? The battery died on the blinds, and that one blind right there, see it? It wouldn't go all the way down. And when it stopped there, I said, I don't know if I could preach. See, I don't know. I don't know. Now, some of you walked in, you didn't even notice that. Others of you walked in, and you're like, this place is falling apart. Okay, now, because you're like me. And, and, but you have other people who, they're not even worried about it. In fact, they like sort of how it just says, that's just like the world. It's a little bit off kilter, and I love the beauty of that. There's nothing beautiful about that. See, we see the world different. So how, when, when the world, uh, or I should say, when I am conformed to the image of Jesus, it's going to be what, what I look like conformed to the image of Jesus. He's made us so different. And it may not be that we're all going to be the same, and that's the point. And the reason we need to understand this, and I I don't want to spend too much time on this because I don't want to annoy you more than I already have, is when we have been raised in a Christian community, if if you happen to be someone who grew up in a church, especially if you've been raised in a a country which is as as beautiful as ours, where uh, many of us have been connected to the church even if we didn't attend church our whole life, our assumption will be if you are a Christian, you will see the world the way an evangelical American sees it. And that's just not true. I'm not saying you shouldn't see the world the way you see it. But I am saying the gospel leaves room for people to see things differently. And that's okay. And the contention in the culture should not be the same contention in the body of Christ. Because our commonality is a Savior who died on the cross. And our commonality is a future home. And we need to make sure that we recognize Others becoming like Christ will not look the same as us. Okay, last thing. We're going to close with this. Look in your heart. Is Jesus there? That's the final piece of the puzzle here for many of us. I cannot be like Jesus. I cannot serve like Jesus. I cannot call heaven my home if in my heart Jesus is not there. Some of us are still here today and we're doing a pretty good job of playing the game. We know how to keep our nose clean, we can show up for church, and we can put on a shirt and a pair of pants, and, but when it comes to a relationship with Jesus, never happened. Look in your heart. Is Christ there? If he is not, believe. It's a matter of faith. 
Do I believe Jesus forgives me for my sins? And do I believe I need it? If you believe you are a sinner that needs forgiveness, then you can trust Christ and he will forgive you for everything you've ever done. Look in your heart. Is Jesus there? Then we can rejoice with you and say, hey, we have something in common. The thing in common. Jesus. Jesus.